Chapter 10 of Our Vanishing Wildlife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Larson in Dawson, Minnesota. Our Vanishing Wildlife by William T. Hornaday. Chapter 10 Destruction of Wildlife by the Elements. It is a fixed condition of nature that whenever and wherever a wild species exists in a state of nature, free from the trammels and limitations that contact with man always imposes, the species is fitted to survive all ordinary climactic influences. Freedom of action and the exercise of several options in the line of individual maintenance under stress is essential to the welfare of every wild species. A prong-horned antelope herd that is free can drift before a blizzard, can keep from freezing by exercise, and eventually come to shelter. Let that same herd drift against a barb-wired fence five miles long, and its whole scheme of self-preservation is upset. The herd perishes then and there. Cut out the undergrowth of a given section, drain the swamps and mow down all the weeds and tall grass, and the next particularly hard winter starves and freezes the quail. Naturally the cutting of forests, clearing of brush, and drainage of marshes is more or less calamitous to all the species of birds that inhabit such places and find there winter food and shelter. Red-winged blackbirds and real estate booms cannot inhabit the same swamps contemporaneously. Before the relentless march of civilization, the wild Indian, the bison, and many of the wild birds must inevitably disappear. We cannot change conditions that are as inexorable as death itself. The wild life must either adjust itself to the conditions that civilized man imposes upon it, or perish. I say civilized man, for the reason that the primitive races of man are not deadly exterminators of species as we are. I know of not one species of wildlife that has been exterminated by savage man without the aid of his civilized peers. As civilization marches ever onward over the prairies, into the badlands and the forests, over the mountains, and even into the farthest corner of Death Valley, the desert of deserts, the struggle of the wild birds, mammals, and fishes is daily and hourly intensified. Man must help them to maintain themselves, or accept a lifeless continent. The best help consists in letting the wild creatures thoroughly alone, so that they can help themselves but quail often need to be fed in critical periods. The best food is wheat screenings placed under little tents of straw, bringing food and shelter together. In the well-settled portions of the United States, such species as quail, ruffed grouse, wild turkey, pinnated grouse, and sage-grouse hang to life by slender threads. 
a winter of exceptionally deep snows much sleet and a late spring always causes grave anxiety among the state game wardens in pennsylvania a very earnest movement is in progress to educate and persuade farmers to feed the quail in winter and much good is being done in that direction mr erasmus wilson of the pittsburgh gazette times is the apostle of that movement quail should be fed every winter in every northern state the methods to be pursued will be mentioned elsewhere by way of illustration here is a sample game report from los animas colorado february twenty second nineteen twelve after the most severe winter weather experienced for twenty years we are able to compute approximately our loss of feathered life it is seventy five per cent of the quail throughout the irrigated district and about twenty per cent of meadowlarks in the rough cedar-covered section south of the arkansas river the loss among the quail was much lighter the ground sparrows suffered severely while the english sparrow seems to have come through it in good shape many cottontail rabbits starved to death while the deep light snow of january made them easy prey for hawks and coyotes f t weber it would be possible to record many instances similar to the above but why multiply them and now behold the cruel corollary at least twenty-five times during the past two years i have heard and read arguments by sportsmen against my proposal for a five-year close season for quail taking the ground that the sportsmen are not wholly to blame for the scarcity of quail it is the cold winters that kill them off so then because the fierce winters murder the bob-white wholesale they should not have a chance to recover themselves could human beings possibly assume a more absurd attitude yes it is coldly and incontestably true that even after such winter slaughter as mr weber has reported above the very next season will find the quail hunter joyously taking the field his face beaming with health and good living to hunt down and shoot to death as many as possible of the pitiful twenty-five per cent remnant that managed to survive that pitiless winter how many quail hunters think you ever stayed their hands because of a hard winter on the quail i warrant not one out of every hundred how many states in this union ever put on a closed season because of a hard winter i'll warrant that not one ever did and i think there is only one state whose game commissioners have the power to act in that way without recourse to the legislature this situation is intolerable thanks to the splendid codified game laws enacted in new york state in nineteen twelve our conservation commission can declare a closed season in any locality for any length of time when the state of the game demands an emergency measure this act is as follows and it is a model law 
which every other state should speedily enact. The New York Close Season Law Number 152 Petition for Additional Protection Notice of Hearings Power to Grant Additional Protection Notice of Prohibition or Regulation Penalties Number 1 Petition for Additional Protection any citizen of the state may file with the commission a petition in writing requesting it to give any species of fish other than migratory food fish of the sea or game protected by law additional or other protection than that afforded by the provisions of this article such petition shall state the grounds upon which such protection is considered necessary and shall be signed by the petitioner with his address number two notice of hearings the commissioner shall hold a public hearing in the locality or county to be effected upon the allegations of such petition within twenty days from the filing thereof at least ten days prior to such a hearing notice thereof stating the time and place at which such hearing shall be held shall be advertised in a newspaper published in the county to be affected by such additional or other protection. Such notice shall state the name and the address of the petitioner, together with a brief statement of the grounds upon which such application is made, and a copy thereof shall be mailed to the petitioner at the address given in such petition at least ten days before such hearing number three power to grant additional protection if upon such hearing the commission shall determine that such species of fish or game by reason of disease danger of extermination or from any other cause or reason requires such additional or other protection in any locality or throughout the state the commission shall have power to prohibit or regulate during the open season therefore the taking of such species of fish or game such prohibition or regulation may be made general throughout the state or confined to a particular part or district thereof number four notice of prohibition or regulation any order made by the commission under the provisions of this section shall be signed by it and entered in its minute book at least thirty days before such prohibition or regulation shall take effect copies of the same shall be filed in the office of the clerk issuing hunting and trapping licenses for the district to which the prohibition or regulation applies it shall be the duty of said clerks to issue a copy of said prohibition or regulation to each person to whom a hunting or trapping license is issued by them to mail a copy of such prohibition or regulation to each holder of a hunting and trapping license theretofore issued by them and at that time in effect and to post a copy thereof in a conspicuous place in their office at least thirty days before such prohibition or regulation shall take effect the commission shall cause a notice thereof to be advertised in a newspaper 
published in the county wherein such prohibition or regulation shall take effect. Number 5. Penalties. Any person violating the provisions of such prohibition, rule, or regulation shall be guilty of a misdemeanor and shall, upon conviction, be subject to a fine of not to exceed one hundred dollars, or shall be imprisoned for not more than thirty days, or both, for each offense, in addition to the penalties hereinafter provided for taking fish, birds, or quadrupeds in the closed season. I want all sensible, honest sportsmen to stop citing the killing of game birds by severe winters as a reason why long closed seasons are not necessary and why automatic guns don't matter. And I want sportsmen to consider their duty and not go out hunting any game species that has been slaughtered by a hard winter until it has had at least five years in which to recover. Any other course is cruel, selfish, and short-sighted, and a word to the humane should be sufficient. The worst exhibitions ever made of the wolfish instinct to slay that springs eternal in some human breasts are those brought about through the distress or errors of wild animals. By way of illustration, consider the slaughter of half-starved elk that took place in the edge of Idaho in the winter of 1909 and 1910, when about 700 elk that were driven out of the Yellowstone Park at its northwestern corner by the deep snow fled into Idaho in the hope of finding food. The inhabitants met the starving herds with repeating rifles, and as the unfortunate animals struggled westward through the snow and storm, they were slaughtered without mercy. Bulls and cows, old and young, all of the seven hundred, went down, and stony Indians could not have acted any worse than did those settlers. On another occasion it is recorded that the pronghorn antelope herd of the Mammoth Hot Springs wandered across the line into Gardiner and quickly met a savage attack of gunners with rifles. A number of those rare and valuable animals were killed, and others fled back into the park with broken legs dangling in the air. In the interest of public decency, and for the protection of the reputation of American citizenship, one of two things should be done. The northern boundary of the park should be extended northward beyond Gardiner, or else the death trap should be moved elsewhere. The case of the town of Gardiner is referred to the legislature of Montana for treatment. Beyond question, the highest sentiments of humanity are those that are stirred by the misfortunes of killable game. During the past thirty years I have noticed some interesting manifestations of the increased sympathy for wild creatures that steadily is growing in a large section of the public mind. Thirty years ago the appearance of a deer or a moose in the streets of any eastern village nearly always was in itself a signal for a grand chase of the unfortunate creature and its speedy slaughter. Today, in the eastern states, the general feeling is quite different. The appearance of a deer in the Hudson River itself, or a moose in a main village, is a signal, 
not for a wild chase and a cruel slaughter, but for a general effort to save the animal from being hurt or killed. I know this through ocular proof. At least half a dozen lost and bewildered deer have been carefully driven into yards or barns and humanely kept and cared for until they could be shipped to us. Several have been caught while swimming in the Hudson, bewildered and panic-stricken. The latest capture occurred in New York City itself. A puma that escaped, about 1902, from the zoological park, instead of being shot, was captured by sensible people in the hamlet of Bronxdale, alive and unhurt, and safely returned to us. In some portions of the East, though not all, the day of the hue and cry over a wild animal in town seemed to be about over. On Long Island some humane persons found an injured turkey vulture, and took it in and cared for it, only to be persecuted by ill-advised game wardens because they had a forbidden wild bird in their possession. There are times when it is the highest moral duty of a game warden to follow the advice of Private Mulvaney to the officer boy and shut your eye to the regulations, sir. Such occurrences as these are becoming more and more common. The desire of the great silent majority is to save the wild creatures, and it is in response to that sentiment that thousands of people are today in the field against the army of destruction. It is the duty of every sportsman to assist in promoting the passage of a law like our New York law, which empowers the State Game Commission to throw extra protection around any species that has been slaughtered too much by snow or firearms, by closing the open season as long as may be necessary. Can there be, in all America, even one thinking, reasoning being who cannot see the justice and also the imperative necessity of this measure? It seems impossible. Give the game the benefit of every doubt. If it becomes too thick, your gun can quickly thin it out, but if it is once exterminated, it will be impossible to bring it back. Be wise and take thought for the morrow. Remember the heath-hen. Slaughter of Bluebirds In the late winter and early spring of 1896, the wave of bluebirds was caught on its northward migration by a period of unseasonably cold and fearfully tempestuous weather, involving much icy-cold rain and sleet. Now there is no other climactic condition that is so hard for a wild bird or mammal to withstand as rain at the freezing point, and a mantle of ice or frozen snow over the supplies of food. The bluebirds perished by thousands. The loss occurred practically all along the east and west line of migration, from Arkansas to the Atlantic coast. In places the species seemed almost exterminated, and it was several years ere it recovered to a point even faintly approximating its original population. I am quite certain that the species has never recovered more than fifty percent of the number 
that existed previous to that calamity. Duck Cholera in the Bronx River In 1911, some unknown but new and particularly deadly element, probably introduced in sewage, contaminated the waters of Bronx River where it flows through New York City, with results very fatal in the zoological park. The large flock of mallard ducks, Canadian geese, and snow geese on Lake Agassiz was completely wiped out. In all, about 125 waterfall died in rapid succession, from causes commonly classed under the popular name of duck cholera. The disease was carried to other bodies of water in the park that were fed from other sources, but made no headway elsewhere than on lakes fed by the polluted Bronx River. Fortunately, the work of the Bronx River Parkway Commission soon will terminate the present very unsanitary condition of that stream. Wild Ducks in Distress In the winter of 1911-12, many flocks of wild ducks decided to winter in the north. Many persons believed that this was largely due to the prevention of late winter and spring shooting, which seems reasonable. Unfortunately, the winter referred to proved exceptionally severe and formed vast sheets of thick ice over the feeding grounds where the ducks had expected to obtain their food. On Cayuga, Seneca, and other lakes in central New York, and on the island of Martha's Vineyard, the flocks of ducks suffered very severely, and many perished of hunger and cold. But for the laws prohibiting late-winter shooting, undoubtedly all of them who would have been shot and eaten, regardless of their distress. Game wardens and humane citizens made numerous efforts to feed the starving flocks, and many ducks were saved in that way. An illustrated article on the distressed ducks of Cayuca Lake by C. William Beebe and Verde Birch appeared in the Zoological Society Bulletin for May, 1912. Fortunately, there is every reason to believe that such occurrences will be rare. Wild Swans Swept Over Niagara Falls During the past ten years, several winter tragedies to birds have occurred on a large scale at Niagara Falls. Whole flocks of whistling swans of from twenty up to seventy individuals alighting in the Niagara River above the rapids have permitted themselves to float down into the rapids and be swept over the falls, en masse. On each occasion, the great majority of the birds were drowned or killed on the rocks. Of the very few that survived, few if any were able to rise and fly out of the gorge below the falls to safety. It is my impression that about two hundred swans recently have perished in this way. End of chapter 10